Hello and welcome to Chancy Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak to Jane Curtis about how charity events are having to adapt to the coronavirus pandemic. Are charity events seeing a temporary delay to business as usual? Or has the pandemic irreversibly changed how charity events will run from now on? And what do charities now need to do to develop events that work perhaps better than ever? Jane has two decades of experience in charity events and shares some thoughts and wisdom on the topic in this interview. So whether you work for a charity or support a charity or enjoy events, this one is for you. So without further ado, here is Jane Curtis speaking to me about charity events. Delighted to be joined today by Jane Curtis from the Charity Event Specialists, who is herself a Charity Event Specialist. Hello, Jane. Hi, Sam. Nice to see you. How are you? Very well, thank you. And we, we, we're speaking now, it's uh, towards the end of June. Uh, the coronavirus is, um, is, has hit the world. Obviously, we've had the London Marathon um, back in April was uh, cancelled. And then there was a 2.6 challenge and various other things. And mass participation events have been stopped, postponed, uh, cancelled, things like that. So we're talking today about events. I, th- I suppose my first question for you, Jane, is, is what challenges are charities facing with holding events right now? Well, like you say, we're, uh, where are we now? Third week of June? I mean, things are changing on a sort of weekly basis, aren't they? But, um, and it looks like lockdown is beginning, we're beginning to kind of emerge from that. But, but yes, like you said, the London Marathon was cancelled, like we've had Great North Run has been cancelled in the last couple of weeks, Royal Parks, Landmarks, Half. So all those really big third party events have been cancelled. There's obviously the big issue with kind of social distancing and how we can kind of do our events safely with that. And we don't know what that's going to look like going forward. But yes, I mean, they're changing all the time. It's just, um, and I think people are feeling a sense of perhaps anxiety. I mean, people are dealing with it in different ways, aren't they? But um, but but those are those are some of the main challenges. Just the not being able to gather in big groups of people, which you know, events sort of or big third party events obviously rely on having mass participation. Um, and there's been the kind of cancellation or the postpone, postponement of like the bespoke events as well. Um, and so charities are having to kind of um, basically suck up those costs that are unrecoverable. So like venues or anything like that that they may have paid for up front because I'm, I'm fairly certain that an awful lot of insurance doesn't cover for like pandemics, global pandemics, you could have known that we were going to be um, dealing with this. And then there's all the kind of stewardship of the event participants and keeping them engaged, you know, at a time where we can't actually meet them face to face so that there's challenges around, around that too. And, you know, I know a lot of charities have decided to furlough fundraisers and that's resulted in uh, challenges around capacity internally and how much can actually be achieved right now. Everybody's working remotely from home. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're not all to do with not holding events right now, but, but they kind of, one does kind of lead into the other, I guess. We've seen um, the London Marathon uh, being cancelled, as I say, and then 
the I think the organizer, I think I'm right in saying the organizer London Marathon set up this 2.6 challenge. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So 2.6 was really um, interesting because that was that was organized and kind of rolled out in like a really quick amount of time. I think it was like a couple of weeks couple that of the weeks, London Marathon yeah. organizers decided just that they were going to do something. It was a really, really fast turnaround. I mean, they were probably working on it behind the scenes, but um, it was an amazing kind of, um, and the way that they were just able to push that out. So 2.6 challenge was, um, I'm sure most people listening will have heard of it, but um, it was a, it was loosely to do with uh, the number 2.6 or 26 or 260. So you could kind of do anything that involved those sort of numbers. Um, and that was in, um, that was a sort of nod to the fact that the marathon is 26 um, miles long. Um, and I think it may have been 26th of April as well. There were a few well, little reasons yeah, why. Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, so, um, so yeah, and that worked really, really well, and people really picked up on that because there were not only the people on the marathon who would have felt massively disappointed and not being able to do something, there were all the cheerers, all the, all the family members as well, and it just made it really accessible. Like, my children um, decided they were going to jump 26 times, you know, in the, on their trampoline and, like, just sort of really fun things like that that they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't have got involved normally. Yeah, that was really, really innovative. It was very, it was quite early on, really. So it was a, a really good kind of nod to how things might be sort of moving. Um, and we've seen quite a lot since then with some charities doing some really innovative and, like, creative things. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that kind of many charities who sort of never dabbled in anything online or digital are now sort of doing it you know it's kind of like kind of run of the mill sort of um practice so like lots of charities are organizing like quizzes on like very little budget and that's kind of exciting to see because you kind of think that's going to become normal practice there's loads of tech companies who are now having to like pivot their sort of offerings um because for example like if you're a big production company you put on big something like that all of their business has been lost now too so so they're they're kind of having to pivot what they do i think it's been really interesting so you've seen like um Givigy, who were an online um silent auction like company um uh, platform and they've started like hosting kind of gala events for charities now so doing a kind of full package like tiltify as well which are a big gaming uh, fundraising gaming platform they're doing loads of really clever stuff i've seen some charities do very um innovative like sort of quizzes with guest speakers and guest um uh like celebs who've come on and kind of done uh being the quiz master or whatever so they've done some really really nice things Marie curie did one on tiltify and they raised over fifty thousand pounds from their gavin and stacy quiz so seen some really really exciting kind of innovative stuff i think a lot of what's working tends to be hung on the back of a kind of maybe a celeb or an influencer or someone like that because again a lot of celebs will have had their work cancelled so um they'll all be at home too so it's actually made it quite easy to kind of get these kind of connections and then uh, engage with some of these um these kind of personalities as well so um yeah i think it's really interesting like how things are moving um and we're seeing charities just sort of come out of kind of what they might have traditionally sort of been holding um, and, and trying really new things. So some charities have kind of just literally taken their physical event and moved it online. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's also charities who have, have just created brand new activities, which I think is just amazing. It just shows, doesn't it, really? Like even though all those challenges that we just talked about, there's still so much great creative kind of work coming out um, of, the, of these organisations. A lot of these events tapping into things that people either want to do or people want to do as a challenge. I know that 
Um, it's unlikely that anyone would ever be able to encourage me to do a, a triathlon, for example, but I could be encouraged to do a run because I enjoy running. So is that the same kind of psychology, do you think, with virtual events that you're, you really need to tap into something that people are willing to do? Yes, I think so. But I think, you know, you've also got opportunity to tap it into people who uh, would never have considered doing something like that. So um, and making it just more accessible and making it easier to do. Perhaps, you know, the fact that coming to do, like, I don't know, a big 10K or a big half marathon or something could actually put off some people. But the idea of being able to do that and chunk it down into their own kind of, um, in, like do it in their own neighbourhood, but also to sort of chunk it down. So I know that uh, Samaritans are doing something next month um, where you're running a marathon in, in during the month of July, but you can do that in any which way you want. So you could do the whole thing on one day, but you can also just, you know, a couple of miles a day or every other day, whatever. So I think that's really clever. Um, so yeah, Yes, I think, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see, won't it, once we can all move around much more freely, whether or not we're going to see this spike of interest of people who have found these new, this new love or passion for cycling and running and, um, I don't know, walking, you know, because we've all been forced to do things in, in ways that, because I work from home normally, so I know that when I take my dog out for a walk before the pandemic, there would hardly be anyone, I'd hardly bump into anyone, and suddenly, come sort of March, April, there was just so many people around, like walking and running and jogging and, um, and cycling, loads more people. So, um, so it'll be interesting to see if that kind of follows through into, into events when we can do them again. <laughs> and is, yeah. with virtual events, is there any, do you see any, any um, hurdles for people who maybe aren't used to using technology or, or certain platforms? Or is it fairly accessible? I think it's getting more accessible. I would say that um, definitely a lot of the fundraisers that I speak to in the event. I talk to that is one of the big hurdles is that idea that you know um, we haven't even really attended one of these events before let alone organize one so what you know and kind of what does it mean and that it's there's it's there's that kind of fits like fear around it you know um, whereas we we're quite used to organizing a big dinner or you know in a, in a hotel and we would do that with our eyes shut but actually suddenly having to use technology in different ways but you know we're all learning so fast aren't we like we're all using zoom on a daily basis and um, having online meetings so actually kind of doing is making it more um, yeah easier and, and a less of a kind of uh, obstacle to kind of overcome um, but there are so many kind of providers and um, companies who will now help um, help you do that so my kind of tip for anyone who was feeling unsure about it would just be to speak to some of those external suppliers and get some kind of input and some help um, I think it would definitely pay back the quality of event that you can provide um, and also just the stress that it would take off your shoulders of like having to actually try and do it yourself. But I don't know about you, but I find even just running like a Zoom meeting for a few people and having to switch between, you know, looking at the chat and keeping on top of everything, there's quite a lot to do. So imagine doing that for like 100 people or, you know, more. Um, so I think get some external help would be my big top tip. In fact, I spoke to, um, this is a couple of weeks ago now, but I spoke to one of the special events um, managers at Great Ormond Street Hospital and um, they'd just done an event called At Home With Gosh. Uh, so it was a brand new event for them and they'd, um, they'd got like Craig David and uh, D uh, Dara O'Brien, the comedian, to like host it. Um, and um, his, his advice was um, to actually, talk, if you're in kind of real life, in, phys in the, you know, a physical event, and you've been working with production companies on any aspect of that, go and speak to them because like I said, business completely um, 
yeah, crushed, you know, since all of this. So, um, and Great Ormond Street went to their production company and kind of made them putting it on for, for the charity um, and were able to do it at a sort of quite a good, um, good price as well. So um, I would say definitely reach out, use those contacts that you might have anyway um, from your real, real life events. tips for charities who may have had physical events that are coming up i guess they're probably waiting to see um through the summer whether you know it's, it's still viable or whether it should be postponed or cancelled are there any are there any kind of top tips that you have got for charities who are maybe looking at whether or not to postpone cancel events uh, or how to maybe pivot to a virtual event i suppose it depends on the event yeah, it does really. And that's the thing. I'm, with, with all my kind of advice that I've been given, it's really hard, isn't it? Because it's like, I don't know your specific sort of um, circumstances. I don't know how many staff you've got. You may have colleagues that have been furloughed and you're doing some serious plate spinning right now, you know, and actually it's difficult to then say you must do this. I think my feeling is that, that it's unlikely that you're going to be able to uh, run a physical event before the end of the year. Um, and, and actually there were, quite a lot of charities probably a month or two ago who were sort of sort of planning on doing their Christmas concert or whatever like Christmas activity um, in a normal way but I think kind of my point to that would be just you know it's traditional cold and flu season um, are people really going to want to be going into like centrally heated rooms and sitting close to strangers um, where you know we're likely to see, probably see another spike aren't we at some point of coronavirus I just can't I can't see it happening. I really can't. But I mean, I'm not a fortune teller, but I would, if it was me, I wouldn't be planning physical events for this year. I'd be looking to spring 2021. Um, but I did notice just now before I came on the call that IOF have just released some guidance on fundraising in public and what measures need to be sort of taken. So um, it would be worth like having a look at what that guidance sort of says. But you know, it's all the normal stuff that we've got, we've just got so used to. So like that socially distancing how you're going to manage that like hand washing and making sure there's lots of, of the antibiotic stuff and uh, face coverings and you've got to you know you have to be thinking about all of that stuff now and how you'll manage that um, on top of everything else and with the guidance changing on a literally daily basis so um, so yeah my advice broadly would be look to doing something online this year and think about a physical event in 2021 because actually, even if like all the all of the kind of um, restrictions were lifted, like I said, do, will people's behaviour radically change? I'm not sure it will. I don't know whether they'll all just suddenly go, yes, let's go to a Christmas concert in a in a centrally heated church, sitting next to people. I don't I don't know. And you know, this kind of idea of like just waiting to see what happens, it creates so much stress for people. It's such kind of you know, it just takes all that control away from you um that kind of indecision and actually just being able to sort of make a decision now and sort of say yep that's what we're doing I just think that's probably healthier for everyone involved and then you can communicate that out to your supporters as well and they'll know what's going on um i guess i mean any any event would be risk assessed i guess anyway generally would be before the virus but i suppose there is that added maybe there's that added responsibility on on charities or anyone organizing events to safeguard your people come into the event with coronavirus that's a kind of another level of risk isn't it that you know you'd never I, I would never have thought when I was organizing events a year or two ago I needed to have something in there about 
making sure people didn't have the flu when they attended. But of course, with coronavirus, it's a different kettle of fish. So yeah, absolutely. Another thing that's probably going to come into um, event thinking in the future. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it really will. But, you know, isn't it funny how quickly we have kind of just taken it, you know, under our belts and we're just, you go and queue for a supermarket and you have to stand two metres away from people. It's all just become quite normal in a very quick amount of time. But, um, but yes, you're absolutely right. So there, there are going to be totally different risk assessments. Insurance, I have no idea what that will look like, you know, going forward, how you insure for this sort of stuff. Yeah, it's a... Uh, minefield isn't it um but you know i would say that also i think there's going to be even if so say like all the restrictions were lifted and physical events were going to be sort of normal ish pre pre pandemic way um i can't imagine a time where there won't be that kind of virtual offer as well because i just think people have got used to that now like why would you go into the middle of town on a busy train to yeah. attend something if you could watch it from the comfort of your living room yeah. um you know in your pajamas like why would you not just sort of, you know so actually i think for some people they'll definitely be wanting to get back into town and, and attend those events but there's going to be a huge amount of your supporters who probably would rather watch it from home mm -hmm. so let's not forget that kind of online is it doesn't need to be an either or you know and i can imagine like big concerts and things like that being like you can go you can go to it physically and buy a ticket or you can stream it live and watch it in your in your living room and that those two things will work in parallel that's that's my feeling um so actually getting a bit ahead of the game now and kind of trialing some of this stuff probably makes sense on how you do it and a virtual event doesn't have the same limitations that a physical one does in terms of if it's a you know london marathon for example i think it's forty thousand runners i could be wrong but around that but then i know the 2.6 challenge they were, i don't know how they did but i think they were talking about getting two million people involved so i guess the there's no containment is there with a virtual event or maybe not as much as there is with a physical event that could be a benefit Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities that are coming out of this, you know, that you're, you're quite right. There isn't those restrictions on the location. So you could be a hospice down in the southwest of England, but, you know, from Inverness, for example, you know, I've been on some hospice quizzes, which hospices are a good example because they, their supporter base is usually very localised. Um, and actually, they're now able to, to really talk to people from right up and down the country or even overseas, you know. So, and I think, um, in fact, when I talked to Matthew from Great Ormond Street, he said that was very interesting when they had their at home with uh, GOSH event. Um, there were a lot of new people who came to that. They weren't people on their database. So they were expecting a kind of very core previous um, supporters um, to, attend, to attend it. But actually, there were a lot who had never attended an event. And he thinks that actually going forward, they would talk a lot more about the charity and the cause, um, assuming that not everybody does know about the charity so i think there is some real opportunities here to extend your extend the reach you know and like you said at the beginning you know do something you'd never do normally so you know i would never run a marathon but i would do the 2.6 challenge so um so yes it's it's opening things up for people how do you think fundraising events will change now and in the future we've talked about it a little bit but do you think that we are going to see any, any kind of huge uh, involvement in virtual events that we haven't seen before? I guess we already are. Yeah, I think we already are. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that this will sort of nudge charities into taking kind of braver action, you know, and, and because 
you know, they've realised that actually, um, well, every, every sector, not just charity sector, has realised that actually remote working isn't impossible. In fact, it's very possible and it's working for people. You know, all these charities who sort of said, no, we could never do it, or, or companies, you know, no, we need somebody saying, well, no, we don't anymore. So I think that, you know, you'd like to think that this might nudge charities into making some of that, those kind of decisions that they would, just wouldn't have considered otherwise. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think there's some real potential there. Um, many of the fundraisers who have, like, been forced to wear, like, different hats over the last three months, that could be, like, a real positive step to working a lot more collaboratively and not just looking at, like, these kind of siloed income streams. The idea that we're kind of in competition with one another, you know, it's, it, it's quite damaging, I think, to the sector. We're not in competition with one another. And actually, you're seeing a lot on Facebook and things like that. There's a furloughed fundraising uh, group which has got, like thousands, thousands of people in it. And, and this is a group of fundraisers from all across like the charity sector who are sort of helping one another out, um, really supporting one another. And it's really great to see, I mean, unfortunate circumstances, but at the same time, isn't this great? Like, you know, I just think, I'd, I'd like to think that some of that will just continue and that we will support one another a lot more um, as I said and this whole kind of you know we're, we're here to sort of serve our beneficiaries and actually we can all lift one another kind of thing um, and actually on a sort of some of the idea of being able to involve your kind of wider team and your department in any planning that goes on um, I mean I, I would have always suggested doing this before the pandemic that actually events um, they serve everyone in the organization. They're not just like events fundraising. Um, they're often like the first point of contact for a supporter coming into the charity. They're the first time they see, you know, so actually getting that kind of buy-in and, and planning them with, with the whole organization, I think it is, is absolutely paramount to the success of, of the events. So um, this whole kind of siloed working and individual income streams detrimental to like the growth of the organization. So, um, so perhaps this will help force some of those difficult decisions and actually with events you know right at the beginning a lot of event fundraisers were like well what do we do we've got no events to organize it's like well take this opportunity to to really think about what activity you're doing and whether or not it is serving the, the organization in the best way and one of the things i often heard as a sort of consultant was like it, it was just that relativity that was stopping fundraisers from being able to lift their head up and actually think are we doing is this the right thing to be doing or are we just doing it because we've already always done it you know well here's that opportunity potentially you know you've had you've had to stop delivering these events so to really consider what it is that you want to be doing yeah easy to say not so easy to do i know <laughs>
you know, new pilot schemes for different types of fundraising. And, and I find that helps me personally as well. Yeah, absolutely. Having something to look forward to. Having something to look forward to. And, and I guess feeling that you're taking some control in this yeah. scenario where there seems to be so, such a lack of control. And that, and that was another question that came up quite early on was in this Facebook group, I was sort of saying, what's going to be most useful to you? And people were saying, how do we plan? Like, we don't know what the future holds. Like, we, how do we put our plans together? Like, are we ever going to be able to do events again? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, mean, we, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. So, um, you know, having to be quite flexible with plans and, you know, potentially putting three different kind of options together and just reviewing it all the time, all of that sort of stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is disorientating, isn't it? Um, it is. I mean, but isn't there something, this isn't, I haven't got evidence to back this up. I'm sure there's some neuroscience or psychology out there that would. But certainly, personally, I speak for myself, I love events and I love going to events and, and engaging yeah. with people. And I'm a, I suppose I'm a natural uh, extrovert. So I've, you know, I, I'm looking forward to a time where I will get to uh, spend time with other people an event and I'm sure there must be many many people that have that similar uh, view and uh, maybe that desire will help to find ways around whatever hurdles we face in the future to, uh, to yeah. make that happen and I guess charities can help with that maybe yeah and I yeah absolutely and I mean it's very easy when we're in the midst of something like this to just think oh my god it's like the end of the world as we know it you know um, but actually, this has happened before. You know, there was that big flu epidemic, wasn't there? <laughs> like uh, 1918 or something. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been through world wars, you know, and, and we've come through the other side. Things will change, definitely. But um, it's not going to go on forever. And at some point, there'll be a vaccine, won't there? And we'll just get vaccinated against it. And um, that it will just become a normal run-of-the-mill thing. So... Um, so yeah, for me, it's very much about kind of what can we what can we do now? What can what can be accelerated that we might have liked to have done beforehand? Um, uh, and I do think it's quite positive this whole like kind of you know remote working and um, bit of a digital revolution, isn't it? Really, it is really. Uh, I suppose I suppose that again maybe it's anecdotal, um, but there seems to be an appetite for innovation more than I'd experienced before. At the moment, there seems to be a sense of okay. We, we, we understand that we're all facing a huge monumental problem and, um, or multiple uh, problems. How do we get around it? And maybe I wonder whether that, I hope, I guess, that that would become part of how um, more people are thinking and, and maybe uh, people are being a bit more open to thinking about new ideas and uh, ways of being more efficient. I agree. And working together, you know, there's so much sector. And, and, it, and it doesn't make any sense. It's just, um, but again, I do feel like that's a little bit around that kind of whole like competition. You've got to kind of keep things very close to your chest and you shouldn't be sharing it with everyone. I mean, I know this is um, sweeping generalization because this doesn't happen everywhere at all, but I've certainly experienced it in some organizations where it's just like, like you don't want to share it because it's like this finite pot of money, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And actually there, it's not a finite pot of money. <laughs> We're not in competition with one another. So actually more collaboration, I think, and more sector-wide sharing. Well, it sounds like the yeah. group you've set up on, on Facebook and, and the furlough group, you know, they're two examples of that, aren't they? Where they hadn't been maybe in, in place before and now where people are using them you know, quite extensively. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a COVID pre um, preparedness, I can never say that word, um, group as well. And not just the UK either, like people from all over, because this is obviously a global issue. Jane Curtis, thank you for contributing to Charity Chat. 
Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. A big thank you then to Jane Curtis for sharing her knowledge and insights into charity events and how these can and should continue to be great engagement and fundraising tools for charities. So as Jane said, despite the coronavirus lockdown, many charities have already been able to pivot to offer virtual events, to take the place of physical events or other forms of fundraising and engagement that have been unable to go ahead during the lockdown. The jury is out on how these virtual events will do compared to physical events in terms of initial income, but perhaps here is an opportunity for charities to think more long-term and strategically with virtual events taking on a bigger donor engagement and retention role, as well as having the potential to engage more supporters than a physical event. What is clear is that events as we know them are not likely to run as before with the spectre of coronavirus living long into the future. And we still don't know how the coronavirus has changed the culture of our supporters in the longer term. This continues to be a time of stress for everyone. But perhaps we can harness this stress and use it as a motivator to change, to adapt and ultimately to improve how we operate and how we develop and deliver for those we seek to help. Let us hold on to hope and seek the courage to get ahead of the changes happening around us, to take hold of the reins of change and direct it towards a place which will see a fairer world than the one this awful virus was born into. Jane covered a lot and I think that we will have to explore some of the how-tos with her in the future shows and I hope that she'll join us again. In the meantime, if you have any questions for Jane or have any other topics that you would like Charity Chat to discuss, please do get in touch with us through our website charitychat.org.uk or through our various channels on social media. It's just left for me to thank our sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lab, for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for the beautiful website design. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. RR Yard Photography for the lovely pro bono images on our website. And, of course, Forest of Fools, who have been playing throughout the show and are playing us out now. Thank you for listening. We will get through this. Please do continue to do what you can. Cheerio. Goodbye.